Today is going to be a really fun episode. At least I, I think it's going to be. One of our listeners asked the question, have you changed your minds on anything? Or what is something you have changed your mind about, more specifically? And Elisha and I got to thinking about it. We're like, we have changed our minds on a handful of issues, and some of these are pretty big. So it was kind of fun to look back and see where the Lord has changed our hearts on a couple of these. We have changed our mind twice since being married. (laughs) And obviously, at the risk of sounding like a double-minded man, we're going to say what those are. Uh, But I think that changing your mind is a part of growing, especially when you're a young family. And I always want to be quick to change our minds if we feel that God is leading us there and we may have been wrong in the past. Um, And I know that Elisha feels that way too. And that's something I really appreciate to him is not clinging on to this pride of, oh, we've made this decision and now we're going to stick with it, whether it's healthy or or new information has been learned or not. And so I'm excited to share some of these with you guys today. The Now That We're a Family Podcast. Catherine Joy, before we jump into today's topic, I do need to say how grateful I am to our listeners for all the ratings and reviews because... It's been a it's been a while since actually just you and I have recorded an episode because I think we've done I a know, handful of interviews that. since you know that that were great and that were really awesome that we were grateful for but just you and me sitting here and being able to talk it's been it's been a little while yeah I kind of got giddy when we were coming out to do this episode I was getting so excited about it and I was like oh I think it's because it's been like three weeks since Elisha and I have sat down and done an episode together yes and in that time many of you have left reviews on iTunes and you've left ratings. And I'm always, again, Katie and I have said this numerous times, but it means so much to us because there are so many podcasts that we really appreciate, that we are regular listeners to, that we have not yet taken the time to go leave a rating or a review for. Uh, And so when people do that, it really means a lot to me because I know the handful of times that I've made the effort to go leave a rating or a review on on iTunes. I'm like, wow, that kind of took, it took my time, you know, and you guys are giving of your time. So we're really grateful for that. And something that's cool. I don't know. What is it? Is it Spotify on one of our, on one of our platforms, we are over a thousand ratings and reviews. Oh, so that's cool. pretty exciting. So thank you guys for that. It's not iTunes. iTunes always lags a little bit behind, maybe because they're kind of annoying to figure out how to leave a rating or a review. But uh, thank you guys so much because a thousand is a really big number and with, that's you. Yeah. That's we're you getting guys. close on iTunes too. Yeah. Super, super close. Wow. So thank you. I want to get that out of the way because we, we rarely get an opportunity to say thank you. So thank you. Oh. Okay, Katie, what are some of these things that are ground? Yeah, what are the things that we're flip floppy on? That's really what the question is. Okay, you know, no, this, this isn't like flip floppy. This is like we've sat down, done, a, put a lot of thought into it, made it an intentional decision. And in, these are all since we have been married. So in the last six and a half years, the only one that we have flip flopped on has been alcohol. Okay. Are, are we starting with that one? Or are we? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. We'll just start with that one. Okay. So we're going to do like a little walk down memory lane and like do a historical overview. Of our <laughs> I don't want to get this. super detailed on any of these. I'd like high level. Yes. Okay. So from my understanding, when we got married, we were, we were no alcohol for about a year. Yes. Okay. So maybe we do need a little backstory. Yeah, okay. <laughs> some of you guys might be familiar with this. Some of you might not. I grew up in a home that did not drink at all. So that was how I came into marriage. It was actually a very big uh, disagreement between Elisha and I when we were dating. It was one of the first things I asked him and he was just like, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. And I was like, no, this is a really big deal. And he realized what a big deal it was. I asked him, I said, if we're going to get married, you have to promise me you will not drink alcohol again. And uh, I got really serious the week before our wedding and he said, okay. And, um, so that's how we entered marriage. Yeah, that's a good point. And I grew up from a, from in a family that, um, I don't know. Yeah. Just, I mean, we were just at my family's this last weekend and, uh, you know, at, at dinner I'd say, and I'm from a very large family, maybe, you know, out of the 20 adults that were there, maybe eight of them had a glass of wine. 
Yeah, I'd say maybe less. Maybe it's less. Kind of funny. It's just like there's maybe four or five. Just a few. My, I grew up with my mom having a glass of wine. Um, again, uh, frequency wise, I don't know, three or four nights a week with dinner. Like it wasn't this. Yeah, it wasn't like this big boozy family. It yeah. was like he just grew up with it in this tasteful addition to your meal kind of way. And over time, I think I started to see, oh, okay, this isn't what I thought where you have one drink of alcohol and you get drunk and then your life's never the same. And all these things that I had in my mind about it were settled when I saw how his family treated alcohol. And I was like, it's just like a non-issue, which is what I want it to be in our home. It's like a Mm. non-issue. So I really relaxed my stance on that. And we started to get wine when we would go out for date nights and Elisha would have occasionally a beer, but it was, you know, it was like this cherry on the top of your life kind of thing. Yeah. And so that was what, a year into our marriage that yeah, you yeah. changed and then, yeah, was, um, yeah. And then, so we did that for what, five years ish. We yeah, kind of had that yeah. stance on it for five years mm-hmm. and it was really, yeah, I think it was what you and I both wanted it to be. And that was a non-issue. Like yes. it, it wasn't in the house. Unless, except no, like for we like, didn't like store yeah. stuff in the house or. Yeah. It was I like a, a date night treat. Um, yes. maybe when I was at, when, when we were at my family's, you know, I would, and my, and there was, I'd have a glass of wine with my family there. So it was, it felt like the right thing for a long time. And then I, maybe I think it was probably having children getting older. Right. Mm-hmm. And asking more questions and, uh, and, yeah, I mean, to make a long story short, our, we've now eliminated alcohol altogether from our life. Yeah. Um, just just our, our where we're at is that we just don't drink and we want it to be that way going forward. And I mean, you can probably tell we think there's zero, there's nothing wrong with no. with enjoying alcohol. Like I said, we were- It's a personal- Just two nights ago, we were with my family and like, I don't think Katie or I have a- a, like a gut check when somebody else is having a drink. It's just no. a straight up. I do like you, if, if you're with me and you order something to drink, I, it, it just wouldn't even, even like hit my radar. And I think that that's where it's at with Katie. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I think we're both in a really united place with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like Elisha said, I think having kids and, um, I don't know, just our perspective changed on it. Yeah. Well, cause clearly, I mean, this is, this should, I feel like we're acting like this goes without saying, but maybe it's worth saying. Clearly, there are tons of pitfalls with alcohol. And so it's not by saying, oh, it's just a non-issue doesn't mean that we have this attitude of like, there's no danger in it. It's to each his own. Like nobody's ever really struggled with this. Clearly, alcoholism and alcohol abuse. um, And then the fallout from those things is a... Real issue, you know, real issue in Christianity yeah. and, and outside of Christianity. And so I'm not, I don't think we've ever made light of that. I feel no. like it's easy for us to talk about it casually now, like, sure, if you want to get a drink, you don't get a drink or whatever. But we're well aware of the of the harm that's been caused because of alcohol. And I think we really respect people's even more starch and, and, and strong stances than what we have on alcohol. Um, and when I say like to each his own, I just think it's very clear that you can enjoy alcohol in a moderate way and it's not a sin. I think that's yes, where yes, we're at. Definitely. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think it's been over the past few years. Um, so I grew up thinking of alcohol as this terrifying danger. Like you just don't want to touch it with a 10 foot pole ever, ever, ever. And then I went into the, the polarizing opposite of this safe, relaxed, uh, we, no one, that we know like ever gets drunk (laughs) kind of with Elisha's family. And I was like, I don't know why I was so scared of this thing Um, to then as the years go by, not with Elisha's family, but with uh, seeing come up with our generation and people we know that were like, alcohol is never a problem. Alcohol is never a problem. Just starting to see how dangerous it can be and how I feel temperance, like true temperate people are fewer and farther between than what, who claim to be temperate. Hmm. And so I think that's something that Elisha and I have just been walking through over the last few years where it's like, wow, like um, this can be a real struggle and a real danger. And it's, we have, a, you know, three boys and a daughter and it's not something that we want to set them up for, obviously. 
We don't know who's going to be able to handle that and who isn't going to be able to handle that. And obviously they're going to have to make their own decision on that as adults. I'm not, I expect all my kids to taste alcohol at some point and make their own decision on it. I'm not like thou shalt never or anything. Um, But I do want them to know that their parents have just decided not to for their own uh, reasons and um, for them to have that example as they grow up. Yeah, I think it'll be an ongoing conversation with our children as they grow each year. Um, And and who knows, depending on the community that they're around, um, because I I look at that now, I look at the the group that we are around now, our children are around, and just, I'm just going to throw out, I'd say it's a 50-50 split of parents that do drink or don't drink. And, yeah. and so they're going, to be, they're going to be around Christians that enjoy an alcoholic beverage from time to time. And then they're going to be around us that are not doing that. And so I think it'll be a great opportunity for conversation about, now this isn't a legalistic standard where you can never touch this, but this is why we've chosen to not drink. Um, and there are real dangers and there's real ramifications in people's lives when this gets out of control and when they're not able to, you know, enjoy it with moderation. Mm-hmm. And I think that I'm, I'm really hoping that that will be an ongoing conversation. Yeah, for sure. I think it, I think it will be. Yeah. And I'm grateful for that. I, I love your take on it. So anyways, alcohol has been one where we were like, it's totally fine. And then like, you know what, for our family, we're deciding that's not the decision Elisha and I are going to make. And this is something that it's easier to do as a couple, because if one person's having a drink and the other person's not having a drink, it's just hard. I feel like you have to be on the same page with stuff like this. Um, at least I feel like we did. Yeah. Uh, okay. Birth control. What? <laughs> have you changed your mind on this? Since you we brought last it talked? up. You brought it up uh, this afternoon. Yeah. And I don't think that we've, well, this maybe needs some this needs a, you know how much I love prefaces. <laughs> he does. So I've had I to think, learn in conversations. He'll be like, Katie, like we just had a whole conversation for two hours. And like, that was on the preface. Like I was trying to get somewhere and we never got somewhere because <laughs> I get so hung up on the preface. But anyways, okay. So what's the preface? Yeah. I mean, I, well, again, I don't know. I think that we still... Oh, Let's sorry. say where like, we were at which when is, we got married. When we got married. Okay. Let's good. start we'll there. Start, fair enough. Yeah, that's good. Where so I don't we? know exactly where Elisha was at. <laughs> <laughs> when we got married, we had a very clear understanding that there were abort officiants in most birth controls, as far as the pill, uh, the IUD, stuff like that, which have a really high birth control success rate. I don't think a lot of people know that, but we already had that knowledge going into marriage. So these maybe easier kind of plug and play options were off the table and we just didn't want to mess around with all the trouble of all the rest of it. And I think I thought that almost any form of preventative preventative measures were unbiblical. That's, that's not something that anyone told me. In fact, when I have told my parents that we're taking a break or anything like that, or Elisha's parents, uh, they're nothing but supportive. That was nothing that someone ever told me. And uh, I think my mom told me like, oh, Katie, like your dad and I, like we, we didn't have as kids as fast as we could. You know, there are times when I didn't feel like I could handle another baby. And I still don't know where that time period was because we were all about 18 months apart and she had 11 of us. So maybe that was a good week for her. But, um, that said, I didn't feel any guilt in it. I just, I just didn't think that was something that you did in a marriage that was trying to honor and glorify the Lord. Yeah. And I think I was on the same page with you with that, where, we're like, man, the, these these terms that we had grown up with, you know, like trusting the Lord with your womb or children are a blessing. And so have as many blessings as you're physically capable of having or not even physically capable. People just didn't like, say that. That's just what you assume with like. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, I think those are lines that like trusting the Lord with your womb yeah, is, a, yeah. is a phrase that mm-hmm. is pretty, was common in our circles and still is. Um, and and then obviously there's the Psalm, um, you know, having your quiver full and having your olive plants around the table. And we're like, well, man, let's have a lot of olive plants. So we only saw children, and we still do to this day. We, we saw children as a gift. As a gift. For sure. And, and, and that's 100%. To- yes. We 100% remain that way. They are a blessing yeah. 100% of the time in any 
way, shape, or form. Yeah, we were very excited to have our first baby. We wanted to get pregnant on our honeymoon. I mean, we we didn't think we did when we first got married and like two days into our honeymoon, we're actually like, let's have a baby. So <laughs> we we're grateful that the Lord blessed us right away with Leon. And then uh, Lucy came 13 months later. We were stoked about that. We're like, let's get this family thing going. And then I got pregnant 13 months later. We lost the baby. And I was just like, I didn't think I could sustain another pregnancy at that point anyways. Uh, and then, But we really wanted to get pregnant after that miscarriage. So we got pregnant with Louie and that was incredible. And then after Louie, I was like terrified of because of how quick I got pregnant. And fertility is such a gift, but I really started to panic after him. Yeah, like you said, it's such, it's like a, yeah, it's like a privileged position to to be in for sure. To be like, yeah, oh is. my goodness, we are we are able to. The Lord's blessed us with this ability to get pregnant and have healthy pregnancies. And at that rate, you were looking at like your age. You're looking at probably yeah, where we are living, like well, what I was doing for work. And you're like, man, we are going to. I mean, the good thing at this rate is that we're gonna have a TV show, you know, soon enough. So we won't have to stop. soon if so Elijah won't have to worry about getting a better job. And. Some people are not going to think that's a joke. <laughs> we yeah. never wanted to be on TV. Yeah. <laughs> so that said, though, I it was more. It wasn't all the. I was never stressed about money. I just really truly felt like the Lord was going to provide for us. Elisha was going to provide for us. It was more my body and feeling like I don't think I can keep up on this. Uh, and of course, I read a marriage book recently, and they were saying, "Don't do the math because that's not how God works." Mm. You know, don't say, "Okay, by this time I'm going to have thirty kids by the time I'm 40. And Elisha and I have seen that to be true this year. You know, we didn't we didn't want a three year gap between our kiddos. That was never our ideal, and we have no clue when we're gonna get pregnant again. So we really understand that. Like, I think we've been able to see firsthand that the Lord truly does open and close the womb. But there have been things that um, there have been seasons where I still don't like the term birth control. We have a whole podcast on like specifics and what we do. And we can link that for you guys down below. Um, but I don't think that there's any wrong with making decisions as to when and where and how um, you're intimate. Yes, exactly. And and when if you're putting forth effort to actively get pregnant um, or not. And I think that that's ultimately, again, we per, we went to the word, the Bible again, and we went to counsel again, from that state of like, we're a little overwhelmed here. So of course we were looking at it through that lens. You know, you like think yeah. of the, you think of our we perspective. We were motivated to find something that aligns with <laughs> yeah. our belief system. <laughs> and you think of when we were married, we were like, we didn't have any kids. And we we're like, like, of course, like it just, there. it's not that we didn't have a good gr- grip on reality. We just hadn't, we, we hadn't actually really uh, fleshed it out in the word being in marriage. It was all theoretical, I guess. Yes. It was all very yes. theoretical. A lot of things become practical once you get married and start your start and your so, life. And so we did go to God's word with this specific question of like, again, with the non-negotiables, anything abortive is off, is off limits. Anything that would terminate, you know, a, a, a human life. At is, any stage. At any stage yeah. is not an option. Um, but then there, obviously there are natural things that you can do to prevent basically getting pregnant at all. Yeah. And we just were, a lot of the verses are not a lot because there's actually not a lot. The main verse that people would use for- um, We have all that maybe, stuff okay. in the birth control thing. Okay, so we, we'll just link that episode. Yeah, people I'll want more of the deets. I feel like we lay it out pretty clearly in there, kind of like our train of thought and then what we did and what scriptures um, we struggled with and all that stuff. I mean, I'll Yes, we'll link that episode. Okay, okay. It's like for 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 time's sake. Yes, um, but that is something that we changed. I I mean, that's a strong statement to say we changed our minds on. We never changed our minds on. We wanted the children that the Lord gave us, and we were going to delight in them, and they were a gift. But we did change our mind on what we could do to give our me a break. Really. <laughs> So is there anything else you'd no, say on that? that? that's good. Well, yes, I'm sure I say it in the other episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Christmas. Oh, you're right. We've changed our mind on that. Namely, yeah. you. 
Yeah, primarily you. Yeah, primarily me. And we do have a whole episode on that too. So I will link that down below because we walk you through like yada, 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 the whole goose chase. You guys know how our holiday <laughs> holiday commitments go. Did your screen just like fall asleep? I think we're doing good. Okay. Yeah, because because basically when we, I grew up celebrating Christmas for the, mo- for the most part. There was a few years that we did not celebrate Christmas because of some books my dad read and some convictions that were on his heart around it. But the majority of my childhood and young adult life, my family celebrated Christmas. Katie grew up not celebrating Christmas at all. And in fact, you were what, like the fourth generation to not celebrate Christmas, I'd say. Yeah, I, I mean, don't who know knows? Maybe further back than that. Our pure lineage has ever yeah. celebrated the holiday. Uh, <laughs> and I tainted it. Um, no, really. I mean, I respect my grandparents so much and my great grandparents. And that was just never something that they did. I think that was something that was, that was hard with that holiday because the people that we know that don't celebrate Christmas, we greatly respect them. And, um, but that was something that we changed our minds on as a couple. And thankfully, Elisha was really laid back about around the holiday. He didn't even want to do it because <laughs> he's, I've said this yeah. before, he's the Grinch, but he no. just like holidays or not, like he's not going to push for an extra holiday if it doesn't have to be on the calendar. Okay. Well, I'm not that much of a party pooper because yes, I was a little bit like just whatever. Sure. Like I was like a little bit excited that Katie didn't want to celebrate Christmas, <laughs> but I, I do think I had a different perspective because I was in the Christmas tree industry for seven years and I was burnt out of so many of the festivities surrounding. And then we would also tour our faces off every holiday season and play so many Christmas concerts. So I think I just needed a break is what I needed. Yeah, so um, he got me and he got a, married me and he got a four-year break. Yes, it's like, great. Now he's back on the old horse. <laughs> and um, it, it's it been a really special thing for our family hmm. and for our children. And I think this is so funny because it, it really comes down to your belief system because obviously my kids love Christmas and they get so excited about it and I get so excited about it with them and we've decided to do this holiday. And a big reason why we went to really nail down our convictions on this was because our kids were starting to get excited about Christmas and we're like, what are we going to do about that? Yeah. What are we going to tell them? Yeah. Because when it's just Elisha and I, it doesn't really matter. But then with our kids, it's like, okay, and why are we telling them why we aren't doing this if we are not going to celebrate? And then it's funny. So we decided to celebrate Christmas and it's the same thing of our kids kind of coming of age and acknowledging Halloween. And that's a holiday that we decided not to celebrate. So it doesn't, it doesn't really come down to like, well, if the kids are excited about it, I guess we'll do the holiday. No, um, we are going to like fudge our convictions yes. based on the children's excitement level. But it, it did challenge us to go to uh, scripture and hear other opinions and voices and just be like, okay, what do we think about this holiday? Is it going to be for our family or not? That's exactly right. It's, I don't think that like our kids' excitement or the lack thereof has swayed us on these things that we've mentioned, you know, like no. alcohol or, or Halloween or Christmas, but it has forced us to solidify what we do believe about it and what we think is best for our family. So it's been, yeah. it's been helpful. It yeah. starts the conversation. Yes. Okay. Um, theologies. There's been a couple things on theology. Soteriology and eschatology changes. I mean, just the fact that you use those words for others to hear you is just a huge change since when we got <laughs> married, Katie. <laughs> it's so funny. You don't really notice. I don't really notice how many terms I have adopted by having conversations about theology and then reading the books. But it makes so much sense when you know certain terms because it's just clear what you're talking about. Oh, it's just helpful. Yeah. The, like, yeah. The, the modify. Yeah. Modify. So I don't really even like, think about it because it's like it was specifically soteriology and eschatology. Not yeah. And I'm sure we'll probably, mm-hmm. as we crystallize our thoughts on these more, we'll probably do... Actually, I'd love to do a podcast episode like on each of these topics. That's what I was lobbying for before we started recording. Don't even bring this up. I want to do a whole episode. So I'm sure we'll have another episode to kind of flesh these out deeper. But I think um, as far as how we are saved and all that, I think I just... When it comes to salvation, I just grew in peace over the last couple years and not feeling like my salvation was something that I had to 
continually work to earn for. I think I used to be afraid in high school of, am I, am I really saved? Like, I think I'm saved, but then like I sin or I have this attitude problem or am I going to one day, you know, reach the end of the world and like someone's burning me at the stake and like, will I renounce the faith? Will I not? And it's just been a big comfort knowing I am Christ and he is going to walk me through life. He's going to keep me. He's going to bring me through whatever he desires to bring me through. And he's just going to be faithful to me throughout that whole experience. And I think that's something that was a shift that happened because of my uh, belief, my shift, change of heart on salvation. Mm -hmm. So that's just like a small thing that changed for me personally. Yeah, I mean, that's powerful like that. Again, that's, I just think that, I think that there probably are very divisive ways to have conversations around soteriology and eschatology. And there's obviously many different straw man arguments against it for, for I guess, having those conversations or, 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 um, looking into, and there's, there's probably steel man arguments too for both of them as well. Uh, but I do think what you just said is that ultimately your pursuit, I think led to a lot of edification in your own own life and strengthening of your faith. And, and that should be the goal of conversations around anything theologically. Like we're growing, you know, it's, it's our knowledge of God that we're growing in and it's really silly to think about trying to grow in your knowledge of God or talking about your knowledge of God and having that be divisive or having it be argumentative is pretty ironic. Uh, yes. It doesn't mean that it's not work. It doesn't mean that there's not disagreement. It doesn't mean that there's misunderstanding and that you have to grow to and like labor through it to have understanding. Um, Cause I think that that's, I think that, that that's the case. I think you do have to labor through some of these things, but to hear what, kind of the conclusion was, you know, where, where, where Scott and you, I think is, uh, is powerful. And I think it should, you know, we're told to study ourselves, study to show ourselves to prove a workman that needs not to be ashamed. And I think of all of these topics, like what you just said, like, yeah, you, you thoroughly, and you continue to thoroughly study the God's word and helpful books around soteriology. And you're studying your, to show yourself a proof, proof to workman that needs not to be ashamed. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, something, a conversation that I love to have is with Elisha's family. It's like one of the things I appreciate most with them is you can talk anything you want around theology and you might get someone to play the devil's advocate with you. You could do that. You could totally disagree, but it's just like a lively discussion. And it is assumed that everyone in the room loves the Lord, loves the church and wants to grow in the knowledge of God. And I loved a conversation. We were just over there this last week and we're just able to discuss all these different forms of you know, these different theories, these different uh, ideologies surrounding salvation. And it's just like how cool it is that we were able to, and then we're all, you know, like able to go to bed and have a, be like, hey, good night. That was a blast, you know, joke about it in the morning. But like, it never got personal and never got emotional and never got argumentative. It was like a fun discussion. And I just wish that there was more of that in the world around these topics. And that people wouldn't sit in their camp and throw firebrands at the other camp for believing something different or having the verses in their back pocket that they pull out. And I just think it's a form of maturity to be able to sit around and hear someone who might have a different theological belief on something. And I think that this is unfortunately a really rare thing in the church as a whole. Um, And it's just something that I really, I guess, appreciate about Elisha's family, how it just, it doesn't become personal. Well, I think, yeah, I agree. And one of the reasons it is admirable is because there are varying beliefs around like the salvation. I mean, you think of the handful of different opinions on that and I don't think anybody felt compelled to convince the other, because like you said, everybody was coming at this from like, we're obviously on the same team here and we're all. But like, why do you think what you think? That's more like the question. And, um, it's fun too, because it, it makes me go back to the scripture because on some of these questions that I'm getting asked, I'm like, I don't know why I think what I think there, you know, yeah. and you're trying to come up with the best argument you have and then realizing like, oh, that, that just falls short. And um, so it's really fun because I think that discussion like that can 
draw us deeper into God's word to look and, and discover him. And actually, I would say just theology as a whole, I have changed my opinion on. I saw theology outside of reading God's word, which is a wonderful thing to do, as a vain and petty pursuit and knowledge that was simply tried to trying to be gained so that you could be puffed up. And that's how I viewed theology was like anyone who's reading a theological book is just trying to appear smarter than someone else and snuff them out in a dogmatic argument. Hmm. Like that's was my belief system surrounding theology. And uh, since then my faith has just grown so much and seeking out different answers to God's word and be like, okay, I don't, I don't agree with this, but why? Oh, well maybe I do agree with that. That's weird. Um, And looking up those verses and having those conversations, then than saying like, I just, I don't want to have to deal with looking up answers to these questions. Yeah. I think that for me, a lot of it stemmed for me, not wanting to look up answers or have a conviction on something. And, and this is actually still the case with many things to this day where it's like, oh, I'd rather just kind of be neutral or indifferent and apathetic and ultimately just like come back to laziness. It's mm-hmm. like, well, God, like there's a, so many, there's a, the God's word is big, you know? And you, when you're, when they're referring to the old Testament, the new Testament, when you're trying to get it in the context and they're, and then you look it up in the Greek and then it's an, it's a cultural reference yeah, that you actually don't get. Bring up and the so, Greek. Oh man. And it'd be like, ah, and you, it was easy to just kind of push on as people that are into that are, are intellectuals that are seeking vain glory and to see, I want mm-hmm. the simplicity of, of Christ, of Christ yeah. or the simplicity of the gospel. And that was coming from a place of laziness. And, and it's not that this new knowledge changes the gospel. No. It's that it enhances it. It deepens the meaning of it. It deepen, deepens your confidence in, in the same gospel. Um, because that is actually, that's the great thing is that like the gospel is, can be understood by somebody that, you know, barely even can form a sentence by somebody that actually can't form a sentence. You can be, you could be mute, you could be deaf, but you could believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the son of God and they died for your sins and you are saved. Mm-hmm. Like you, you know, you can, I love that for God, so, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It's like, oh, that's such like a basic, simple verse. And you're like, that is the, that's the profundity of the gospel that it, people that are so much smarter than me can understand that and be saved. And people that are not even as, you know, smart as me can believe that and be, and be saved. Um, and so the simplicity is beautiful, but then the depth of it is also beautiful and that you're able to study that and study God's word your entire life and only just start scratching, start scratching the surface of his uh, beauty of his love, of his benevolence, of the meaning and the power of the gospel. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a truly, it's a truly, truly, um, yeah, I don't know. Phenomenal thing. Yeah, it really is. Like you said, a three-year-old child can understand the simplicity of the gospel is beautiful, but also that you can seek and seek and seek and seek and seek and never stop learning more about who God is Mm -hmm. and that knowledge of the Holy. And I just think that that's, that's beautiful. And I don't think it's something to be scoffed at just because we understand the simplicity of the gospel and are grateful for it. I think it's something to continue pursuing. And, um, I just found nothing but joy there. And I'm just really grateful. It's really drawn Elisha and I closer together and, um, deepened my love and appreciation for the Lord and what he has done for me and for my children and for my husband. So, yeah, it's really shifted our conversation from early on in our marriage. We would really only have Bible times and talk about things that, I mean, in hindsight, just pull verses out of whatever context they may be. We would put them into whatever context we wanted them to put into and say like, this is how it's going to help our marriage, or this is how it's going to help our business. And we'd share that with each other. And it's really shifted towards each of us truly learning about God more and more and realizing he's revealing himself to us through his word. We're not just going to God's word to see if we can't get a little takeaway or a little like helpful insight for that day. Um, We actually get to learn about God. And when you learn about God, that transforms your life. Like the practicality that comes from knowing God is so much greater than if you just go to God's word looking for practical application. Uh, and so yeah. I, that's really changed the nature of our, of our conversation over the last couple of years. 
Yeah. So I would say that has been huge for for me and I think for us as a whole. And then as far as, you know, the end of the world conversation with eschatology, you want to save that for another podcast? Well, yeah. I don't think that we've actually necessarily changed our eschatology. I do think, or but you I, think we have, huh? No, I think entertaining a different view of eschatology has changed our perspective yes. on how we live our lives. That's exactly right. I don't think I've shifted any fundamental beliefs on my eschatology. And all, all it's revealed to me actually in studying eschatology is that I just don't know. A th- I never knew a thing. Like there were, again, kind of like these catch all phrases that I grew up and I was like, yeah, but then I never really knew what they meant or what prophecies they were referring to and how Israel was this and Israel was that. Like it, I didn't really know uh, they were like people who were into that, and it was, and so like, was like, sure, like the nerdy thirty-five-year-old, or like your grandpa, mm-hmm. and and those of you who were thrown in there too. I'm not saying. <laughs> oh, I admire people that study. You were one it. of those yeah. categories. I know, but it just wasn't something that, like, when you're 20, you like really concern yourself about. It was like yeah. a rare person that did that, and I think I got so 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 <laughs> sick wow. of the conversation after 2020, and everybody just counting the weeks till the Lord's coming back because it's the end of the world because America's having a hard time or we have a pandemic or whatever, that I just like couldn't listen to anyone's eschatology at that point. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Like I just, it was just like gloom and doom. And and how am I supposed to have a perspective on raising my kids if if it just doesn't matter anyways? I think that's kind of like- Yeah, I think that was your takeaway and mine was similar in that- I think that um, this is just kind of like again, I I I I don't even know enough to know what I believe in my eschatology, but I do know we're still we're still this is a very live and present conversation right here. But I do know that almost every like every anything of value that like to to add real value, you have to have a long term mindset. Like to make a good investment with your money, you can't be thinking about next just you don't make the investment thinking about next week. You don't make the investment thinking about next year. Like the best investments are the ones that you're thinking years down the road. And I think that short-term perspective in some of the circles that we are in around eschatology really cheapened people's uh, parenting. It cheapened people's pursuit of knowledge and pursuit of God. I know it did for me. Yeah. Where it's like, oh man, like I'm actually not going to, learn the real thing or like, I'm not going to take my time reading the old Testament and learn about God's character. Like that, that like takes too time? long. Like that I takes just too long. have to get grain in the barrels. You yeah. Know? Like I'm not going to think about what my kid, should my kids do go to college or not go to college or, you know, I'm not going to invest now for our financial future 50 years from now. It just really led, lent to a lot of immature behavior because ma- mature behavior does think multi-generationally. Mm-hmm. And it's and it, same thing with my health. Like it's crazy how so many of the nutritional books that we'd read talked about how you're able to change the your genetics from generation to generation based off of your diet and your lifestyle. And there for a time that didn't even move me. I was kind of like, well, my kids have whatever genes they have. I have whatever genes I have. And like my brain stopped there. I did not, I couldn't get to the point of thinking about my children's children, let alone my great grandchildren or my great great grandchildren. And again, just eschatology aside, I think that thinking long term enhances your, or it, it improves the quality of your decisions now and how you train your children and how you train your mind and what you go to in God's word and how you invest your money and how you handle your health. And so I think that was kind of my big takeaway from some of these eschatological or whatever rabbit trails we got down. I was like, oh my goodness, I've been doing a huge disservice to my faith to my personal faith, to my children, to their education, to my health, to my children's financial future by not thinking multi-generationally. And you see in scripture, there's always these exhortations for multi-generational faithfulness. I don't think ever in scripture, and again, maybe there are some some parts in scripture, but where we are called to just look at our present circumstances and right now and make decisions off the next week or year or whenever we think like we're supposed to always be prepared for Christ's coming always. And 
the best way that we can do that is by having a long-term vision and be making decisions that will have impact for generations, not thinking, how can we survive here when the apocalypse comes? Mm -hmm. And I think that when you have the perspective of, oh, I know the Lord's coming back in like a, a year or two years or whatever it is, that just can't help but change your perspective to be like, okay, well, what do I need to do right now? And all the rest is totally useless. And I think it reminds me a lot of the talents. And I think there have been a lot of Christians who, because of how they view the end of the world and the end times and all that, have the one talent and they're just sitting on it because they don't want the master to be, to be mad when he comes back instead of investing and multiplying and growing and having this long-term vision. And so Again, we have not changed our view on our eschatology. Elisha and I grew up with one way, and I feel like we've just kind of like carried that into our life. I'm not saying we won't in the future, but we started talking about what is it called? Postmillennialism? I think we were talking about all the, I mean, the Elisha three main ones premillennialism, millennialism, millennialism post millennialism. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but, but when we started seeing how postmillennials view their future and view their children's future, I think it's regardless of the actual theology that that it's stemming from, you know, is, is the Lord coming back pre or post, you know. Yeah, where are we at in the Dominion or where yeah. we're at in the millennium or all these, all these different factors. Regardless, I think the biblical perspective is to be multi-generational, invested multi-generationally. Yes. And I think that's how we're always called to be. And then when the Lord comes back, praise the Lord. Yeah. And we are growing his kingdom and spreading his kingdom through children, through sharing the gospel, through uh, business, through politics, through all these things until praise the Lord, he decides that he's coming back. Yeah. But, but we aren't like clamming up and hiding in a foxhole. Yeah, and I think that that's the big practical takeaway for us. And yeah, that's our takeaway from it. It's not like we've we've changed the details on what we believe. Yeah, and I know I think that's a common thing is people say like I love the fruit of the post millennial um, perspective. I just can't like really embrace the like I don't see where it's at in the Bible. That those are common phrases, and and I think that it truly has been one of those things. I, I think I, I had a true conviction. I, I just saw how I was so short-sighted in my parenting, especially. Like, I think I, I really saw this in my parenting um, as my children are asking questions about God, about God's word. And I was giving like cheaper and like trite, like cheap and trite answers here and there versus saying, wait a second, like I want my, I need to study God's word deeply so that my children can then study it even deep. They can grow on my knowledge. Like they've been brought up in this home with a deep knowledge and then they grow on that knowledge and then they teach their children an even deeper understanding of God's word. And it's just written on their hearts. And my, by, you know, by the time my, I've got my great grandchildren, my great, they are those people that are, um, you know, who is the guy that translated the Bible? The, um, which one? The, the, like first, the like, Vulgate? No, not the Vulgate, the, we were just talking about him. Like, what was that? 11 before the printing press, he was, um, uh, King James. <laughs> no, 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 not like he could translate it from, from the Greek. Yeah. Into, Hebrew, or, I don't I know. Elisha. I'm oh, not going to come up with the name. Not, not George Whitfield was the evangelist, but it's, uh, Oh, William Tyndale. Tyndale. Thank you. Yes. William Tyndale. That was worth, It's like, that was man, I, I want my kids just to have this knowledge of the original documents, like the Greek, the Hebrew, like knowing, like knowing all the documents that were found in this most recent, you know, uh, uh, archeological discovery. Like I want them to know that. And in order, I need to start by that versus having this short term, like, okay, just, just memorize these, these new Testament verses that talk about you believing in Jesus and just stick there, stay there, stay there, stay there, because we just have to be saved. Like, are those important? Of course they're important. Like talking about our salvation, but it's a very small sliver of like God's word. Yeah. Well, it's that. And it's also just, um, I mean, it's, it goes in every facet of life, education, how we're impacting the world around us, all of those things as well too. Mm -hmm. And what are we giving to our children? Because, um, even when you think of wealth and generational wealth mm -hmm. and, um, I don't know. I don't know. There's just so, there's so many things there. I was going to, oh, I had something I wanted to say on this while you were talking. Oh, sorry. I said way too much. I just, it was all garbled too. No, it was so good. Oh, you had a good point. And, and Elisha said, car accidents happen all the time. And 
I think that's a good way to put this in perspective. We aren't going to parent our kids like we're going to get in a car wreck and crash. And so like, like we're just planning on being here. We, we aren't guaranteed a life. We aren't guaranteed tomorrow. And so I think that sometimes we could have that perspective with, you know, when is the Lord coming back? Is it later? Is it earlier? And it's like, our life might be over at any time. We're just supposed to always be ready and always be preparing, um, for that long-term future. I don't think we're ever supposed to have this short-sightedness, even if we're gone tomorrow and, or our child's gone tomorrow. And we're like, oh man, well, I just invested all this into them. You know what I mean? Like, of course not. We're supposed to have a long-term perspective with our children, a long-term perspective uh, between us. And to me, that is the best way we are prepared for the Lord coming, regardless of whether his kingdom is prepared or whether he comes and demolishes everything and sets up his kingdom, you know, without any effort from us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think, I think the whole fruit of fruit of having that mindset of we are preparing the kingdom for the Lord to come back is the correct perspective to be living in. Yeah, I mean, we're supposed to be found faithful when he comes when he when he comes back, like yeah. regardless. And and I I don't know. And and that right there is gonna mean something different to everybody. You know, it's like, well, what is looking faithful look like? But I like you said, Katie. I do think there is. Um, yeah, we don't wake up and say, well, man, this like today might be the day. Like we always know that death is eminent. Eminent. Yeah, like that's the end of that's our re- world. Yeah, absolutely. So you want yeah your hope to be. In heaven, it's like my eternal hope is there. But if I lived in the state of like, well, okay, love you guys. Not really sure if I'm coming home tonight. Like, so let's go ahead and just like, yeah, that's get everything like out a, of the way. Like right now, yeah. Like I, I tell my kids, oh great, I'll see you when I come home, and you know, I'm excited. Do, you do a good job reading, or do good on your math because I'm going to check your work when I come home. I, I still say that, and and. Again, it's, just, it's Lord, always God willing. Yes, absolutely. It's always God willing. Absolutely. And he can and there is a really healthy sobriety that comes from knowing he could take us any day, you know, to consider our last day every day, to consider death every day and, and to meeting our creator. That that is a really good thing to consider that. Um, because that day is gonna come probably far sooner than what any of us expect. And I don't know. I mean, if what I'm saying is is if bringing a magnifying glass onto your eschatology is not helping you live that way in your life, then maybe it's time to just put the magnifying glass down. <laughs> I'm serious. So I have people tell me what day the Lord's coming back. And I'm just like, people have said that for generations. Yeah. And if you're living that, that way, and you're not going to make forward thinking decisions because of that, then I really think you're missing out on what God has for your life. And I know that's a dramatic thing to say, but it's, it's what I believe at this point. And, um, so anyways, I've, I've found it helpful to just have that mindset. Yeah. And that's, that's a newer mindset for us. It is. It's a very, thinking multi-generational is very new. We're just, it's kind of fun. We're still kind of taking it for a test drive, but we like it so far. But <laughs> I think we're going to keep it. Yeah. Uh, it's super inspirational. And it's really fun to think about our sons and daughters growing up and it's, it's incredible. Yeah. And like I said, we mentioned a bunch of like material things, you know, wealth and like, like money, wealth and health and, um, things like that. But, uh, it, it truly does. The primary thing that it changes is this, I think the spiritual and your spiritual, the, the spiritual discipleship of your children changes when you do have a multi-generational perspective. And when you're thinking, okay, what, what are they going, what is Leon going to teach his son and, do- and his daughters, Lord willing, if, if they're able to, you know, have children and then what are they going, what is going to be passed on here? I want to have clear, articulate uh, convictions and truths of, of our faith that they know and that they can hold and then bring it to the next generation. And then they, gr- they grow on those, not, they don't grow like add, they, they add to their faith, like, by no, more knowledge and more depth to it. They don't change it, you know? Um, yes. And how is that going to impact those around them? Because yeah. that matters too. You know, we aren't just trying to raise a child to go through life, but a child is going to multiply out into blessing, into yes, the world. That's right. And um, are they going to have the capabilities to do that? Or are they going to be in a place of taking and needing um, from those around them? Or are that's they right. going to be able to pour out and overflow? And I think even some of those more materialistic things can can set up people to be in a position of more, if you have a 
perspective of glorifying the Lord with what he's given you yes. in an exp- in a position of abundance instead of um, need. And I think oh, that yes. that's, that can be a wonderful gift. Yes. So anyways, that's it. I, I would say this. I, I feel like all these subjects, anything that has to do with eschatology, um, not theology, we all have our differing perspectives on it. And Elisha and I have not, you know, like hammered down our flag. And I feel like this is something we're constantly learning and studying. But I would say that we would love to be in a room with some of you guys and like have a discussion about it. Uh, But I don't want to upset anybody either who think that we should believe one way or we shouldn't believe another way. We know that everyone has their reasons for believing the way that they do. And uh, I don't, I hate, I want to talk about these things because there's something that we're actively discussing. We're actively discussing with people in our own life. Uh, but I don't want to isolate anyone who listens to the podcast or um, make you feel like, oh, well, they think this. So clearly we aren't aligned. So we can't, you know, continue in fellowship because I would hate that. And, and, we've sometimes stepped around these things and just not talked about them because we don't want to, um, you know, like isolate anyone. Yeah, I mean- Because in, I think there's unity in Christ. In, yeah, with Christ being the bedrock of the unity, not yes. not sidestepping that and not sidestepping no, the no. authority in the, of God's word. Like, cause, no, but these other, these other discussions yes. um, that Christians, like incredible God-fearing, God-believing Christians yes. have very strong differing opinions on. And yes. I think that's going to happen through the end of time. And- I know that sometimes we'll get questions like, what are you guys anyways? You know, what is your theology? Uh, because I think we appreciate a lot of different Christians and and the view, the conversation that they bring to the table and the way that they make us think. And I mean, yeah, I mean, even just like the variety of people that we've had on the podcast, you know, is yeah. like, I think I've learned something from all of them, but to say I, I 100% align with all of them would, would not be true, you know? like No, I mean- like, that's not that's the just, point. That's not the, the point. point it's, it's not complete alignment. Yeah. The point is that we're iron sharpening iron and drawing each other closer to Christ. Yes. And I think that we can do that through a variety of true God-fearing, Bible-believing Christians. And um, I mean, if you just take a look through history, it is so fascinating to see people who absolutely staunchly hated another viewpoint. And then there's another great theologian and they dislike them for this. And it's just, it's, it's never going to change. But I do think that I appreciate the people and I appreciate you listeners on the podcast that are able to hear a guest that we have a show or hear a conversation that we have and just take it for what it is and um, not feel like we need to fight over this because something tragic is going to happen if you think this way and I don't think that way on these secondary issues. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, it can even be a primary issue, but if it's a discussion, I think that's wonderful. Yeah, that's right. You know? Yeah, yeah. And um, and yeah, we do that's... have, I'd say the majority of our listeners are that way. Okay, folks, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. My voice hung in there, Katie, babe. I was I wondering. I know, Elisha yeah. lost it earlier this week, so. It hung in there. Thank you all so much. Uh, if you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you shared it on any platforms. That's... It's crazy. That's how 100% how this podcast has grown. It's just from our listeners sharing it. So yeah, thank you guys you. sharing it or leaving ratings. Yes. And it also is fun for us today here to see what episodes you're listening to or what episodes are standing out to you. It's a fun way for us to get feedback from you guys. And I know it's like not half the conversation we're having right here because like we get to talk for an hour and you guys like get to say one sentence or something, but <laughs> it still means a lot to us to hear from you. So it does. We wish we could hear more. Know that. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.